Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. Today, the title of my message is Self-Made, Self-Made. Now, I don't know if you remember the show. There's this show uh, that's actually, they just brought it back, but there's this show I remember watching in high school in the late 90s called MTV Cribs. Anybody remember this show? I loved it. I was obsessed with it. Um, I thought it was the greatest thing ever. And uh, basically all it was, it was just stylized tours of celebrity houses, excuse me, celebrity cribs, okay? So that's what they were called. And um, it was awesome. I, I thought it was incredible. And uh, a lot of the times, the, part of the thing that was so fascinating was a lot of these celebrities whose houses they went to were like really young people. They were young and they were like good looking and they were, they were rich and yet somehow they lived alone in like an 18 bedroom mansion with a pool and a water slide and a grotto. They had like all this cool stuff and no parents. There were no parents ever in these episodes of MTV Cribs. I don't know if they hid them in the videos. I just assumed that these people just lived on their own. And I'm telling you, these houses were amazing, right? They had theater rooms. They had, you know, go-kart tracks. These people had private chefs. They had 10-car garages. They had entire rooms just dedicated to shoes. I was like, man, these people are living the dream. Like, they have arrived. Meanwhile, I lived in the basement with my sister, and only a curtain separating me from a washing machine. <laughs> Not as cool, okay? And I, I like, I watched the show sort of dreaming about like maybe someday I will be able to escape my dumb family and I will be able to go and be successful and, and be wealthy and be known. And like the only way that's gonna happen is if I break away from these people because these people are holding me down, okay? These people are holding me back. And I would think these thoughts as the, the buzzer was going off on the washing machine to let me know that another load needed to be put in. And there was like a drip leak that always sounded like someone was peeing in the next room. It was distracting. And I was like, you know who doesn't have to put up with this? A little Bow Wow. Okay, because I saw that episode, and he's doing great. I want to live that life. And, you know, I think still, even today, you know, a lot of us, and the reason why these shows are popular, the reason why they brought it back this last year was because when we look at this, we're like, yes, that's what I want. That's success. A lot of us think that success really is this ability to get to say, like, look at all I have and all I did all by myself. And because of that, I can do whatever I want, when I want, the way I want it. I don't need, and I'm not obligated to anyone. You see any parents around here? I don't think so. You see any children? I might have them, but I hide them in a separate house. I don't have to deal with that. I'm on cribs. Right? And this is, this is really, this is the great American success story. It's everywhere. 
And you have seen this and read about this. Like it's, it's, it's unavoidable, right? It, the arc is always the same, right? Somebody has this dream that seems like, you know, an unreachable dream and no one in their family gets them and nobody in their community, you know, understands their interests and their abilities and their family and friends put pressure on them that they're gonna have to like choose. You know, are you gonna choose us? Or are you gonna choose your dreams? And these people obviously make the right decision. They clearly choose their dreams and they walk away from their family and they launch out on their own and it's tough, but eventually they forge their own path and, you know, they carve out their own way through sheer heart and willpower and destiny. And they eventually get this chance to prove themselves and they do. And everybody who doubted them recognizes that they have like a secret kind of genius. They have their own brilliance. Their destiny is now undeniable. And now they have everything that they ever wanted and could ever dream about. And obviously now they don't need anybody but now everybody needs them, which is a great position to be in. And so they get to call the shots and do whatever they want. Now, like this sounds familiar to you because I just described pretty much every movie, business book, and sports documentary in existence. And a lot of these things seem to sort of suggest, I don't know if you think this deeply about it, um, but I'm neurotic and I do, is like, it almost seems like they're suggesting like the, the people you come from are actually preventing you from being who you really are. Like the greatest obstacle to your destiny is your family. And if you could just escape them, then you could actually be free to be successful. And I wonder like, is that true? You ever done that thing where you're watching a movie that's based on a true story and you, you Google, uh, like, the person that the story is based on while the movie's going. You ever do this? And, you know, you pop up and you read, like, the Wikipedia or, like, you know, the, the Times article that's just, like, how much of this is true? And when you do this, you always discover there's a whole list of, like, other real people that weren't good enough to be in the movie. Right? And you realize as you're looking at this, you're like, wait a minute, those people didn't do it on their own either. They're not self-made. There's all these people that boosted them to get them where they are. And a lot of these people are the people that they came from and now discount. Because nobody is really self-made. Nobody does it all on their own. And what I find is interesting is almost all these movies, they have this scene where, you know, this, this, this person, the, the hero, the main character of the story after they've made it, they're like sitting alone in the lap of luxury in this like lavish, you know, palace they've built for themselves essentially. And they're sort of reflecting on everything that it costs them to get where they are. And it's never like an uplifting scene. It's always the sad music scene. It's the scene in which they're successful, but they're sad. And a lot of times what they realize, and you know this because of the flashback montage that plays, the thing that they gave up to get there is oftentimes family, connectivity, community, intimacy. And in this moment, they're sort of sitting there reflecting, wondering, was it worth it? And as we're watching, we wonder it too. And I don't think this is a new question. In fact, Jesus 
once famously said, Mark chapter eight, verse 36, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? And the word soul could actually be translated sense of self or true identity. Like what would it benefit you to become successful and get everything you really wanted and yet lose your sense of self or your true identity along the way? And the reason this happens is because, like we talked about last week, so much of our identity is wrapped up in the context of family. Like who, where we fit informs a lot of who we believe we are. And sometimes getting what we want in life, or at the very least what we think we want, comes at the cost of knowing who we are anymore. We gain the world and we lose our soul. And even though like we have all seen the downside of this sort of like lone wolf story, um, there's also a part of us that is still drawn to it. We're like, I know it's bad, but I still kind of want it. I feel like I would be the exception to the rule. Can I just try? Can I just try being rich as C? And part of the reason why we want to achieve and become this self-made person who has it all and doesn't need anyone is because for a lot of us, the alternative is even more unsettling. Have you ever thought to yourself, like, forget losing your soul. You know what scares me? Needing other people. Needing other people and then wondering if they need you or if they like you or if they're gonna look out for you or if they're gonna take advantage of you or string you along or let you down. No, thank you. I'll take my chances sitting alone in my mansion, crying into my golden goblet full of crystal. A little bow wow. I will take my chances being a little bit sad, you know, but in like a wealthy sort of way. But for some of us, it goes beyond that. Some of us grew up in environments with so little money or, you know, so much busyness or stress that we learned that the best way to survive and support the people that we love is to take care of ourselves and minimize our needs and stay out of everybody else's way. And some of us, because of this, we came to believe, you know, only inconsiderate people don't do everything for themselves. And if someone around you violates that expectation, it is infuriating. It triggers your anger real quick because you're like, that's unfair. Like that feels like a, a breach of an unspoken contract that everyone ought to know and live by. And all of these things together I think can make us wonder, like, is it possible to become your best self alongside your family? Or do I have to get away from them to become the real me? I think everybody wonders this at some point or another. Because sometimes it feels like, you know, you have two options. You got to pick one or the other. You can stay or you can grow. You can't have both, so which is it going to be? Am I going to stay here and be suppressed and, and sort of rot away in this basement room doing everybody else's laundry like some sort of Cinderella? <laughs> or am I going to get out of here and away from these people and actually step into my destiny? And, of course, we see these things as opposites, either or, A or B. That's it. It's a very binary choice that we have to make. And so what are we going to choose 
And I wonder, like, is it possible to, like, actually do both? I don't know. So what do you do? And this isn't just a, a modern Western dilemma. This is an ancient Eastern dilemma as well. And I want to take you today through a story, this giant epic story uh, that we're going to read some highlights from today from the book of Genesis. Because this question that people have in their soul has been hanging around for a really long time. We're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 25, verse 24. And this is what it says. When the time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered she was pregnant with twins. That's a great time to find out. Like, oh, there's another one in there. Surprise. It says, as the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home. But Rebecca loved Jacob. So here's what we know right out the gate. The boys are twins, but they're opposite in virtually every way, almost from birth, which is interesting. And here's one of the things you learn as you become a parent, especially as you become a parent of multiple kids, is that a lot of like the way kids are comes prepackaged. That computer, like when it comes out, has programs already loaded onto it. It has its own software and operating system, right? There's a lot of stuff that's just sort of built in. When I look at my kids, uh, there are things about my daughter where I'm like, day one, this is who you are, and it's still who you are as a freshman. Outgoing, smiley, wants to be around everyone. Like, it's, it's sort of who they are intrinsically. And these two parents in this story, they each have a favorite. Nobody's hiding it. Which is sort of weird, right? Isn't it weird that it doesn't even say like, like the dad loved this kid more. It just says, he loved this one. <laughs> weird, huh? As a parent, I'm just like, well, what about the other guy? You know what I mean? And that's probably how they felt too. Because it, it, this family doesn't really support and encourage one another. They try to outdo and upstage one another. That's the family dynamic that they've created. And they grow up with this. It says in Genesis chapter 27, verse six, that Rebecca, who's the mom, said to Jacob, her favorite son, listen, I overheard your father say to Esau, bring me some wild game and I'll prepare, um, uh, and prepare me a delicious meal. And then I will bless you before I die. Now the blessing was a big deal in this culture. It's essentially saying like, like everything that I have, the majority of what I have is now yours. I'm the patriarch of the family, now it's you. All the money I have, all the wealth, all the land, all the servants, all the decision-making power, any position or authority that I have acquired in my life now goes to you. That's the blessing, it's a big deal. You wanted it, typically went to the firstborn which technically goes to Esau by like three seconds. I mean, come on, people. The mother says in verse eight, now do exactly as I tell you. Bring me two fine young goats and I'll make your father's favorite dish and then you'll take it to him so he can bless you instead of your brother. So the mom helps her son cheat his father and brother, her husband. A little bit dysfunctional, okay? Not super healthy, this family. Because the family's mindset, again, is, isn't, it's not like, how can I, like, we help and serve one another, but like, how can I make sure that I get what I want no matter what? 
And in fact, this family is only as good to me as it gives me what I want from it. And maybe you're looking at these two kids who feud for the majority of their life, and you're like, how do these kids get this way? Because the parents are that way. Let me just give you a tip if you're a parent. People are smart enough to figure the same thing out about you. Why are these kids this way? I think it has something to do with the fact that the parents may be a little bit this way. Because the reality is, often what we like least about our kids is a reflection of the dysfunction we've avoided addressing in ourselves. I wonder if you, uh, those of you that are parents, have ever found yourself getting so frustrated at one of your kids. This happens to my wife and I all the time. I'll sell her out because she doesn't have a microphone. <laughs> well, she'll be mad and she'll just be like, can you believe Tegan did this and she did that? That's so annoying. And I'm like, that sounds like somebody else I know <laughs> who's also a beautiful redheaded woman who looks very similar to this young girl. Who is she? There she is. And I'll just point to a mirror. My wife's like, oh. We just tend to, to pass it along. In Genesis chapter 27, verse 30, it says this. As soon as Isaac finished blessing Jacob, so they pull off this plan. And almost before Jacob had left his father, left the room, Esau returns from his hunt. And now there's all this confusion. And Isaac says to Esau, your, your brother was just here and he tricked me and he's taken away your blessing. But Esau was a nice guy, so he just got over it. No, that didn't happen. Verse 41 says this, from that time on, Esau hated Jacob. I'm going to kill my brother. Verse 42, but Rebekah heard about Esau's plans and she told Jacob, flee to my brother Laban's home and stay there with him until your brother cools off. And that's exactly what Jacob does. Like, because in his mind, you know what, I don't need these people. Like the only person that gets me here is mom. Nobody else appreciates me. Nobody believes in me. I'm not even sure I belong in this family. And so he goes to his uncle's house and he works for him and he gets married twice to sisters. It's a weird story, you guys. Because what happens when he goes there, he's forced to trust his uncle and he already has trust issues because of the way he grew up. And when he trusts his uncle, his uncle cheats him multiple times and takes advantage of him. So that's a little bit triggering. And why does he do this? Because it turns out it runs in the family. Mom is a lot like her brother, who's a lot like the son. But Jacob gets the uncle back by cheating him in a business deal, you know, which he learned to do from his mother, which I think is sweet, you guys. It's so, it's like, oh my gosh, when I cheat other people, manipulate them, it's just like mom. You know, it's like, it just keeps going on, you know. Genesis chapter 31, verse one says this, Laban's sons, this is the, the mom's brother where, where he's working now, Jacob's working, were grumbling about him. Jacob has robbed our father of everything, they said. He's gained all his wealth at our father's expense. And Jacob began to notice a change in Laban's attitude toward him. 
and this is so interesting to me, Jacob's uncle and cousins want him to leave for the same reason his father and brother wanted him to leave, because he's entitled, because he elevates himself above everybody else, because no one can trust him to do anything but what he thinks is best for him at the moment. And they want him to leave too. And this is at least the second time history is repeating itself. And I gotta tell you, if you leave a relationship instead of resolving an issue, the issue will follow you and find its way into your new relationship too. And I gotta tell you, as a pastor, and as some of my friends I can look at here and see that I know are therapists, like they could tell you this is the thing that happens again and again and again. The problem is this person. They're the issue. I gotta get away from them. And then they go and they find somebody new and they're like, this is where it's at. And then they just sort of recreate the same thing again and again and again because they're just trading out the person they have the issue with, not resolving the issue itself. I wonder what issues are following you. I wonder if you even know what they are. Maybe you've worked hard not to. Here's the good news. I bet you could find someone in your life who would educate you <laughs> if you just asked them. And some of you are thinking like, I'm not gonna ask them. I'd rather not. I know who they are. I don't know that I wanna know. I don't know that Jacob wanted to know at this stage. Genesis chapter 31 says this. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your relatives and I will be with you. And so he leaves. And three days later, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. And so he gathered a group and set out in hot pursuit. I love that it says hot pursuit. That's awesome. It's a chase scene here in the Bible. And life is so circular, right? Again, history repeating itself. Okay, Jacob cheats his brother. And so his brother chases him and tries to kill him. And then Jacob later cheats his uncle. And his uncle chases him and tries to kill him. Same action, same outcome. And again, this is just an extra tip for you. If everywhere you go, everyone wants to kill you, it might be you, okay? It might be you. What's the common denominator? And yet the reason that he runs this time is that God tells him, like, listen, it's time to go home and face your family. You thought if you could just change your scenery, you'd be different, but you're not. You're the same you with the same issues, so stop running. Go back to where it started and address it. And most of us just hearing this, thinking of God saying this to us, we're like, man, I would rather get hemorrhoids and ride a horse through the Rocky Mountains. I don't wanna do that. No, thank you. But Jacob decides he is gonna go home. And when he gets close, the scout tells him his brother's headed his way with like an army of 400 men. And I mean, like he just goes white. I mean, he has had nightmares about this his entire life. And now it's actually happening. Like his past has caught up with him. And so he prays. There's not a lot of evidence of him talking to God at other times, but now that he's just like, I'm probably gonna die because of that army of 400 people from my brother that I ripped off when I was a kid. And he's like, I should pray. I should pray. Let's do that. This is what he prays. Genesis chapter 32, verse 11. Oh Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I'm afraid he's coming to attack me. And I feel like God is like, yeah, you think? That's exactly what he's, I would think that too. 
And here's what I think is funny about this. Aren't these the same prayers that you pray? God, I know we haven't talked in a little while. When I was doing good, I didn't feel the need to call. But uh, yeah, things aren't going great. And so here's what I need you to do. I need you to bail me out of the consequences of my own creation, mostly for not doing what you said was best. And I was like, what do you know? It turns out a lot, a lot more than me. And so now I'm in trouble. I need you. And here's the thing. Here's what God's response is. And oftentimes this is what God's response is in our life too. Essentially, the way God responds is, like, if you are going to do the work to actually face your dysfunction, I'm gonna help you. But if you're gonna keep running, you're gonna have to do that all by yourself. I'm not gonna abandon you, but I'm not gonna help you with that. You know what you need to do. You need to go home. You need to have some conversations. You need to make some things right. And so Jacob decides that regardless of what happens next, he's pretty sure a sudden death, that he's done running. He's done running from his family. He's done running from himself. He's done running from his hurt. He's gonna wade out into it. And this is hard for him to do, just like it's hard for a lot of us to do because he realizes that the thing a lot of us know about our own lives and our own families, like he didn't create this family system. He inherited it. And what happened to him wasn't really all his fault. In fact, he was a victim too. But what he comes to realize is that he's not proud of what he did to try and survive that it made things worse, that, that in trying to protect himself from getting hurt, he hurt other people along the way. And that's the thing that he needs to make amends for, that's time for him to own and apologize for. And so he attempts to do this. In Genesis chapter 33, it says that Jacob looked up and he saw Esau coming with his 400 men. And as Jacob approached his brother, he bowed to the ground seven times before him. Now, the number seven, like there's numbers are meaningful in scripture, specifically the Old Testament. Like it's not as much about an exact number as it is about a concept. And seven is the number for perfection. So how many times did he grovel to his brother? The perfect amount. The perfect amount. Some of you are wondering like, how many times do I have to say I'm sorry and prove that I'm sorry? The perfect amount. It goes on to say that then what happens next is Esau ran and stabbed him in the face with, no, I'm just kidding. Isn't that what you were expecting? Just, I mean, just full out John Wick style, right? Now what happens? Esau ran to him, embraced him, and kissed him, and they both wept. Amazing. This baffles me because it, do, it doesn't always go this way. Some of you have tried to make amends with people in your life in your past. And you're like, yeah, it doesn't always go that way. Also, I do want to just say that just because Esau didn't kill him right here doesn't mean that they didn't still have a long laundry list of things to talk through, work through, boundary, and solve later on. But they both decide in this moment that it's worth it because both brothers have this epiphany. They need each other. They balance one another. They're better together. 
Both have become successful, and yet it feels hollow because you know what they lost along the way? Family, community, connectivity, intimacy. And this took them a lifetime to learn because it wasn't the primary lesson they were parented with. And I can't help but wonder when I read this story how their lives might have been different had they been raised differently. Like maybe somewhat along the lines of this New Testament idea. There's this idea in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. This is one of the, the first Jesus followers writes this. He says, God has given each of you a gift. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. Now, here's what you should know about the context of this. This is written about the family of God. But here's what I want to just bring up. What if this is about your family too? What if your family is sort of a microcosm of the family of God? And the way it's supposed to work is sort of a, a small version of the way the family of God works. What if all of you in your family are different on purpose? What if your and their uniqueness is a gift to all of you? What if you are the way you are, not just to make your own life better, but to make your whole family better? You see, ancient Eastern ideology says that your uniqueness doesn't matter. Modern Western ideology says your uniqueness is all that matters. And here's the reality. Both are wrong because a healthy family celebrates uniqueness without sacrificing unity. And this is why so many families aren't healthy. It's hard to walk that tightrope. It's tough. And yet it's essential. Our senior pastor Moses says that you know, often to our staff, like health doesn't happen by accident. It's not gonna be easy. It's work, but some work is worth it. Another New Testament author says that family is, is kind of like a body. Listen to this metaphor. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. Our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. What if this were true? And what if this wasn't just true in general? What if this was true of you and your family? Is it possible that God designed each member of your family and put them right where he wanted them? Could your biggest mistake be claiming that you don't need certain members of your family? Because you've thought about that before, right? We all have. We're like, they're, they're, they're just not necessary. Okay, they're like the appendix of the family, okay? We don't need, take them out. Nobody would be missing a thing. We would all be better without them. Would you though? Think about it this way. If you erased the person in your family that, you, that currently frustrates you most, what good things would disappear in you because you got it 
from them. Maybe because they modeled it in front of you. Maybe because they taught it directly to you. Maybe because your response, your counter response to them was this other healthy thing in you. I wonder, why would God put you with them? And why would God put them with you? I mean, if you looked around your life and asked this question honestly, I wonder what answers you would come up with. What do you think God was hoping that each of you might learn from each other by being trapped together? Maybe it's not an accident. Like when it comes to your family, what if instead of running from them, you made it your goal to work with them to do and be something you couldn't without them? In fact, what if you can't be everything you were meant to be without them? What if they are a massive part of your story? You know why Jacob was successful? Because he got his start by taking all of his family money. Because his mom gave him a leg up. Because his uncle Laban gave him his start in business. Because he had access to a massive amount of workers and resources to accomplish his goals. And yet he's like, I mean, it's really mostly just me. Welcome to my crib. But it's all a facade. And this is the exact realization that Jacob and Esau came to. Like, they can't be and do everything they were meant to without each other. And I, I wonder if you have ever been a part of something where you felt seen and wanted and valued genuinely just for being you. Where it, it seemed like everybody you know, thought like, man, if you get rid of the parts of you that are different from all of us, we would all be worse off. We need you to be you. This is how family is designed to feel. And here's what's crazy about it. Like the reality is that the more seen, supported, and celebrated you are by others, the more likely you are to do the same for others. Because that's what we all want in life. We want them to get us. But here's the thing. In order to do that, you have to realize that a one-size-fits-all approach to everyone in a family doesn't work well. And it takes a lot of work to find out what works for those who don't work like you. Which is why some of us, just like Jacob, didn't feel like we fit in our family, right? Because we had a dad who was like, Esau, that's my jam, okay? Hunter, hairy, barbecue expert, I like it. This other boy, I don't understand. I have one way of doing things, one way of parenting, one way of being, it, it, like it get in or get out. What happens to this kid is he gets out. So how would you do this? Here's some questions I just want to give you. I would suggest you don't write anything else down. Take a picture of this, write this down. So just take an inventory of the family that you're actually working with. What if you sat down and asked these questions about your kids, your spouse, your parents? What 
is their personality and temperament? What is it that they're gifted at? What makes them come alive? What seems to shut them down? You know what's interesting about those questions? Some, sometimes what makes one person come alive shuts the other person down and vice versa. Like when, when does this person in my family, when do they feel the most loved? Where do they need the most support and help? What motivates them? What do they need to flourish? Here's the reality. Your family is like a body. All the parts are not the same. They can't be treated the same or seen the same. And if they were the same, your family wouldn't work the way it's meant to. And you wouldn't be who you're supposed to. And, and I wonder like how the story we read today from Genesis might be different if Jacob and Esau's parents took this approach with their family. And I wonder how your family might be different if you begin taking this approach with them. Here's a good place to start. If this feels overwhelming to you because there's a lot of ground to cover, what if you just began here this week? You took some time to tell each member of your family what about them is actively making you all better? I wonder if you sat down and just sort of looked around the room. Maybe you're gonna have to call or Zoom some of those people to get in there. And you just took time to just say like, here's something that is different and unique about you that we need, that makes us better, that is essential. I know it causes conflict, but I'm so grateful because I can't be who God intended me to be without you. It doesn't mean that we both don't have areas we need to grow in. It doesn't mean that nothing about us is unhealthy. It just means that like, that you need to be you. And I wanna love and support you. I wanna honor and celebrate your uniqueness while championing the unity that's required for us to support and love and care for each other. And I think this approach could be the game changer for your family because Jesus seemed to think and the New Testament writers that, that living this way is a way of approaching family that can save the world. And if it has the potential to save the world, don't you think it could help your family on some level? Would you bow your heads across this room? I just wanna pray this into your life today. God, I, I am just so grateful for the life that you have given each of us. We, we really truly are blessed. We look, I can look around the world at shows or Instagram and see things that we wish we had, but we really have more than most. And God, I pray that you would reframe the definition of success in our minds. You would help us to see the reality that you put us with who you put us with, where you put us, in certain seasons for certain reasons. You, you, we need the diversity of our families to become everything that you want us to be. God, I pray that you would help us to understand why you put us with them and why you put them with us, what it is you hope we learn, what it is you hope we internalize, what it is you hope we take on and how we grow because of them. And God, I pray that as we 
celebrate and honor and leverage the strengths of the differences in our family that we would pull together and love each other like you love us. That as we parent our kids like you parent us, your kids, your church, that health would become the new normal. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.